Hi, you're listening to Some Context Please, a podcast from the team here at Foundry Creative School. It's our hope to draw some contextual lines between what our students are learning and what really happens in the world of professionals. Of course, you don't need to be a current Foundry student to get something out of this podcast. It should help anyone who's interested in matching creative theory and working process. My name's Adam Grieve, and I'm hosting this season where we're looking into the world of photography. Each week I'm joined by an industry professional who talks about their experience within the industry. In this episode, number five of eight, we talk to Devarka Serenovatny, a commercial, small business and portrait photographer living in Hobart, Tasmania. Dave has extensive experience in the film and photography field, having started his career in Sri Lanka as a scriptwriter and a TV documentary producer. He moved solely into stills photography as his preference and found a speciality in shooting for the luxury hospitality market in South Asia, as well as the documentary of post-conflict resettlement and recovery in Sri Lanka, two areas at polar opposites to each other. Dave has an extremely good understanding of light, which is where we'll be entering our conversation. We talk about the skill of reading light and how he had learned about it. We also look at lighting inside a studio and some lighting techniques that can be traced all the way back to the master painters, well before photography was invented. Quickly setting the scene, our conversation took place at 8pm one night over Zoom. Unfortunately, Melbourne internet hasn't been great during lockdown with everyone at home, so the audio has the odd glitch here and there, but we persevered. Getting into it, I asked Dave about the importance of reading light from a professional perspective and how he'd gained such a strong command over it in his images. Yeah, so obviously for me, I do use a lot of artificial lighting for my commercial work, but most of it is trying to replicate good natural light. And which is a very, very important part of lighting because when you are lighting a subject, it needs to look natural. Like in the sense, it needs to have, like when when the person looking at it, like when someone is just looking at that picture, they need to see this flow naturally. And if you, and that's why like when when I tend to light uh, a subject, like let's say it's a, a person or something like that, or just an object, you tend to have the light source all from one side and with different modifiers to give you different qualities. But the direction is generally the same way because uh, one way to easily spot a really badly lit photograph is when you have multiple shadows going going all, all over the place. So do you have a, a distinctive style about yourself, do you think, that you choose when you're using light? Or obviously you, you shoot quite often for clients, so you're trying to just make the best photo look the most natural? or You do want to make it look really good and it always mm-hmm. depends on uh, like depends on what it is that you're shooting as well let's mm. say if it's a campaign for let's say a big advertising client or something then yes you will make it look a bit more stylized and use way more lights than you would for just a lifestyle shoot for a smaller client but one thing i always try to do is like i said before to try and use the elements of natural light yeah. And there's a concept that we use in photography, uh, which is called motivating the practical. And in film terms, uh, practical lights are lights that are existing or in a sense ambient lighting. So I, I don't refer to it as natural light because it could be lights from bulbs. It could be lights from, like, say, if you're shooting inside a house, it could be the lights that are already in that space. And that's your practical lighting. So okay. when you light, you try to just push that practical lighting a bit more where you have control over it, but it does not look out of place. So you make mm-hmm. sure that what you are lighting has to match the location as well. 
uh and that sort of tends to come with experience because uh, like as you get started you know you try to use the fanciest light modifiers and soft boxes that you can and you'll find these subjects looking too good mm-hmm. like lit too well for the location that they're in and then it just looks like you know it looks very very fake even yeah. though you have shot it in in one place it sort of looks like you shot half in the studio and there's placed uh, a subject on on a background so how did how did you learn about all of this <laughs> did you did did you um yeah with with lighting yeah. so so for me my um, photography for me was initially just a just a hobby but that was with uh, like not studio photography and commercial and all of that it was like the way most people get into it uh just taking pictures of nature and you know just beautiful things around you and all of that and but but what happened was i started working in a in a studio and there we used to do a lot of travel related photography but we used to fund the travel by doing shoots for commercial clients and that's where i sort of learned to work in in a studio uh so i guess learning was mostly just by by doing it by working under other photographers and then just working my skills up and uh one thing i found was i mean obviously the internet is a great resource for absolutely anything doing lots of little research on my own and uh, like following other photographers uh, and seeing the sort of work and then learning to read uh light you know like looking at a photograph and trying to deconstruct how it was lit and then doing a few experiments learning like like that and and because i found that the light i wanted to create was not what i was getting at first yeah uh, and i'm sure it's it's the way with most people especially when you start working with flash and everyone has this thing oh i'm a, i'm a natural light photographer and flash looks terrible and most of the time it's because they simply don't know to use flash properly yeah right that's uh, interesting if you know to use flash you will use it all the time because you literally can create any look you want at any time and wherever you are uh, yeah. so i i don't buy that thing where people say oh i'm just a natural light natural light is amazing it has its place but if you are working for a client you can't always have the perfect day and the perfect time and all of that dave mentioned how he'd explored and researched other photographers work to break down how they'd use light which he used for his own experimentation practice and understanding this led me into discussing some of the old masters painters from times before photography was invented i've been to art galleries around the world and it never ceases to amaze me just how well those masters must have understood light Many of the paintings I've seen are almost photographic in detail, yet the light they used wasn't artificial in most cases, using light diffused through a window or similar. Even more amazing is that they weren't necessarily snapping a moment. They painted an image over many hours, weeks or even months. The first of these masters who came to mind is Rembrandt. He's someone we talk about within our students' lessons, mainly because one of the most famous lighting techniques used today is referred to as Rembrandt lighting. his use of light and the way all his portraits are lit and all of that it just it's this beautiful soft light and uh, the studio that he actually used was what in today's terms would be called a, a natural light studio because he had windows that were high above the subject so the light mm. always came in from above and it was very flattering because you know it's filtered softly through the windows I have no idea where it faced like which which direction it yeah. faced with regard to the sun but I do know that it was high like the light source was high and he also had blinds that could control the amount of light that was coming into the studio so I'm assuming that he had some level of control where he always had this beautiful soft light coming in and maybe he 
only painted in the early afternoon or in, in the later afternoon or no idea how he actually mm. did it. You'd have to assume that he also would have used some form of light with candles and that type of thing. I'm not, I, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I'm sure there are artists who have, have used candles and lamps and all that, that sort of thing. Uh, but it is, I think if, as a photographer, it's nice to understand what was done in the past. Yeah. And uh, so obviously Rembrandt's not the only example. There are um, other forms of lighting and, and yeah. such as butterfly lighting and, and those yes. um, that sort of thing. They have probably been developed more as in photography. Was Rembrandt just very typical of the painting style or? The butterfly, because it's quite new mm. and they came about uh, during the, the, the film, you know, when everyone was making these Hollywood films and they found this very flattering light when it was coming in uh, from above. And I think it was Paramount Studios that were, that were doing it. Mm-hmm. And it sort of worked on from there and then it became widely adapted in the fashion world. And like today, we the adaptation of the butterfly that we use is something called a clamshell light where, because the, the trademark with the butterfly is, is the little shadow under the nose, which, which is what gives it its name. Uh, but if you look, if you pick up a magazine cover today, the two most common uh, lighting that they use is either with just a beauty dish yeah. to create like harsher shadows, but also give a lot of character to the face. Yeah. And a clamshell, like the classic clamshell is where you have a big soft light source above the model and directly underneath is a reflected light source. So then you just fill in the shadows and you have absolutely no harsh shadows and your typical makeup or facial you know, products and things like that that need lots of really good skin texture will use something like a clamshell. So going back also, when we, you talked about modern day photographers that you've used for inspiration, yes. do you have anyone sort of off the top of your head that you'd like to? Yeah, sure. To- so when I, when I started off with Flash, so the studio that I used to work at, and I should mention here that it was in Sri Lanka because that's where I started off photography career. So we used to use these big Bavans. Bavans is a, is a British uh, flash lighting company and they made very big, lights you know they, they were not the most portable and they had to be powered by electricity and because of that i was really obsessed with trying to master the smaller flashes or what we call speed lights today speed mm-hmm. lights are the little flashes that you can pop on top of your camera or take them off and, and light them uh, you know yeah. off camera as well and so when i was just trying to get into the whole speed light thing i found this guy called david hobby and uh, he's based in the u.s and the guy has this site called Strobist. And mm. it's a very, very old-fashioned site, which is still updated to this day. Yeah. And like I started following him around 2006, maybe around 2006, 2005, six around that time. So you're talking like more than 15 years ago. Yeah. And at that time, like he was using these small flashes, uh, speed lights, and creating really, really good lighting. And his tutorials were really good. It was very simple. Like he just show an example and then how he solved the problem and how he used it. And he was a newspaper, like a press photographer. So he would go around shooting articles, like shooting photos to support articles in the paper in, in the town that the guy lived in. So he used to approach like everyday subjects, similar to what I would be doing as well, uh, and just use these little flashes to do it. And so he was one major source of inspiration because just reading on how he lead a subject uh, mm. was, was was really amazing to see. So that, that's him, David Hobby. And yeah. then uh, there's another, all, all of these guys have for some reason or the other 
are based in the US. Uh, there is Joe McNally, a photographer for he's before for Time and Life magazine, mm-hmm. and he's he's still working. All all these guys are still working to this day, uh, and he is also like he's an absolute master of his craft when it comes to using light. Was he's he um, he was he's known for embracing the strobe and and to really push the boundaries of what it had to offer. Oh wasn't yes, he? yeah, yes. Does he really, really pushes the boundaries of what what can be done with with the strobe? And like, even when he's not using strobes, like like most recently, he was one of the photographers covering the the Tokyo Olympics, which just concluded. Yeah, and uh, and like because I I mean I, I follow him on his socials and all that. Yeah, and the pictures he was taking was just fantastic. You know, it was not just your typical uh, sports photograph, which we've all you know we're used to seeing like really up close images, but he was doing like abstract photos like really either really close or super wide or like finding all these weird angles and all of that like giving life to a subject which i think for me is what separates a photographer like when you try and find a an, a unique angle or a unique way of looking at something which no one else has thought of and then when you see it you're like wow like you know that's a, such an amazing picture yeah you, if you give something different to what you're seeing and then your mind you know you can just find it a bit more interesting when, when someone's looking at it we now moved on to dave's studio space or the fact that he doesn't have his own i wondered how he got around this fact and whether it was easy to find spaces and hire gear uh yeah so here in in tasmania like in in, in hobart where, where i'm based so i work as a freelance photographer as well as i'm contracted with another studio here called mm. oi studios and OI have their own warehouse that has been converted into a studio. And that's where most of the like the commercial shoots and things are done. But apart from that, like even my own shoots, I would be working on location. Yeah. Uh, and just taking my, you know, just taking gear around and, and shooting on, on location using the lights I have. Because yeah. rental spaces here are not that, I mean, there's one or two places here. Uh, but the place I work at at the moment seems to have the biggest and place that is set up specifically for photography. What are, are a few hints for the speed light that you would have? Um, because I know that you can change the angle of them. You can put a sort of a, its own little soft box over the top of it. There's all different types of things that you can do with the flare arm with the speed light. Um, what sort of things do you use it for? Um, do you bounce it or, or how do yes, you use so, that? Yeah, so we talk about like modifiers. Mm. and things to use with with the lights say so when you're when you're starting off and I'm, I'm, I'm sure like most people have gone through it and i went through it as well like what happens is when you when you start working with your flash like your first introduction is is a speed light and everyone uses it on top of the camera and the results are absolutely horrendous right <laughs> yeah. because it's too close to the lens to create a flattering light and that that's that's like the the problem like it's, it's just a matter of physics the fact that the light is too close to the the lens like the source and no matter what you do your your pictures aren't going to be good unless you're going for that specific style you know where you have really harsh deer in the headlight sort of look is is, is the thing that that you want to get uh and just taking it off is the best way of like making nice light and then when you start working with light and you start using something like a big softbox or something and you suddenly realize oh wow this looks fantastic and then mm. you start using it all the time and that's when your pictures start looking really artificial because you start using light that is too good for where you are so i think for me it was a bit of a journey where you use a lot of really nice flattering soft light and then you start 
really getting used to using hard light that's so yeah. hard light would be a smaller source uh without as much diffusion in, mm. in in front of it like it's just a bare light and then like learning really craft with that and i do work a lot with hard light and make that look flattering and yeah so at, at the studio like in since you did ask about modifiers and what we use so there's a huge range i mean it just depends on the sort of job that is needed so we use anything from beauty dishes soft boxes in all shapes and sizes from little 60 by 60 cm little square soft boxes mm. all the way up to something like a 120 by 80 cm soft box that's big and then we also have strip lights which are 50 by 130 cm mm. yeah wow and then we have these really big umbrellas uh which are it's a 170 i think yeah off the top of my head it's either 165 or a 170 cm umbrella it's a very very big light source like it, it's i mean it's almost as big as a, a person <laughs> and yeah and then we would use thick glass lens that focuses the light yeah and then you can change the distance between the light source and the modifier so it, it works on it's like a lens like we can zoom it in and out yeah and you can focus the beam of light so you have control on the the degrees of the the direction that the light leaves the modifier Mm. and you can really craft your light like if you're shooting food really up close and you want to like craft exactly where the light goes and you can focus the fresnel in and out uh and it also has a nice hard quality to the light so you can like almost mimic daylight because yeah. the sun is a really hard light source and it's yeah. just the clouds that that actually give it so much diffusion but on a on a sunny day you step out look at your shadow it's just it's as clear as if someone's just drawn it right it's so sharp that that's a typical trademark of a hard light like really hard shadows it sounds like they can get quite complex i mean there's so many different lights um oh yeah yeah for sure obviously get comp- setups in studios or even outside yeah. and and setting up modifiers for the lights and everything obviously do get very complex in sort of industry in every day do you guys still use lighting plants um to organize and is it try to keep it as simple as possible type scenario or do you really try and get complex and you go for every angle you can get with the light yes yeah, so with 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 lighting plants it's like this like say you do get like you you can get online virtual studios that you can plan your lighting diagram but what i find with that is yes it's nice to just figure out where things are going in the studio but the way it renders on the subject is is realistic only up to a point because everybody is like let's say if if you're shooting people everybody's skin texture and color is different so the model that you get on like the digital model that you get on a in a virtual studio on a lighting plan is not going to look the same way as the person that you are going to shoot in a studio and also like i'm yet to find any virtual studio online that has anything but people Yeah, right. That's so, interesting. Right. It's only people. So there's mm. just like a 3D person that you can light and and craft something out of it. Mm. But if you're working with uh like say in a commercial studio in a month you can be shooting anything from like you know a plate of food, you can be shooting a bottle, you can be shooting you know shoes, clothes, like you name it and you are not going to have that in a on a lighting plan. Mm. I would use a lighting plan if Let's say I I find a picture somewhere that I like and I want to replicate it. I would look at that picture and try and work backwards as to how it was lit. For something like that, yes, I would make a plan, but it could be as simple as just a sketch on a notepad, right? So 
which is more i'm 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 probably probably more comfortable working like that yeah so i have my little notepad with me and if i look at a picture i can work backwards like okay this was lit you know there's a soft box here there's maybe something on this side and and then i have a starting point so mm. then i can go into the studio and start working at it and sometimes when you you will have a shot and you will be using something like eight lights or something but it does not start off like that especially for somebody who's just getting in, in into industry you always start with one right and then you just build the layers so you craft the look of the subject that you're doing in layers so it's literally you 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 know okay this is i'm going to shoot let's say a room i'm going to shoot this beautiful hotel room and i want the light filtering in from the window so that's where my lighting will start i will have a nice big light source there coming in and then you start adding the other bits like okay let's have a little bit of a highlight here and then you pop another light in i want a shadow here you know going across the photograph then add another light and like that you just build it up in layers that way you don't get overwhelmed by all these lights because uh, i find that especially when you're starting off it's just nuts like you have all these lights going <laughs> off and then you're like oh my god like it's looking terrible where do i like how do i get it to look better yeah right so when you start with that single light and build it up until you have the perfect look that you want it could take anything from an hour to 3 hours for you to get there and then you're ready to to start start going this like approaching it in layers is really important like you know what and then if something's not working you can take the element out without affecting the rest of the photograph for me coming from sort of the graphic design aspect of things and not yes. much um experience in within photography i mean i i kind of feel that a lighting plan would be a, a good start just to know what i'm basically going to need and then it is very much built it up by the layers as you go like, yeah, it's, it's yeah really good yeah, yeah. yeah the plan helps to give you a starting point yeah and like even that little sketch like especially if i'm trying to replicate something then the little sketch is very helpful that you just like okay you know i walk in i know what i'm going to set up at first uh, and then you just take it from there and you start yeah, start right. improving the that sadly is all we have time for for this episode we've covered a lot this session everything from reading light good ways to learn about light and lighting techniques all the way back to one of the first masters of light rembrandt Next episode, Dave and I will pick up our conversation again where we talk about black and white photography, some tips for shooting in color, and workflow concepts. I look forward to catching you then. Also, remember if you have any feedback on what you're hearing, please reach out and let us know. Some Context Please is produced by Foundry and executive produced by me, Adam Greve. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can find Foundry on Instagram at @myfoundrylife. Foundry is an Australian creative school designed to bridge the gap between education and industry. We work with top creative leaders from all creative disciplines to design courses that help you find your passion and turn it into your career. To find out more about Foundry's current courses and upcoming intakes, visit foundry.com.au.